Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. In this episode, we're talking to a marketing, computing, and technology expert with more than 20 years of experience. Heiken Newman is the Vice President of Marketing at Oracle CX Marketing and reveals insights you do not want to miss about creating content for every step of the buyer's journey. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from today's sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks at demandjump.com today. And now, here are your co hosts, Christopher Day and Ryan Brock. Hello, and welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your co host, Christopher Day, and as always, joined by Ryan Brock, the Chief Content Officer here at Demand Jump. How's it going today, Ryan? Yo, it's a beautiful day. It is. It's amazing. Grass is getting cut right outside the window as we speak. I'm pretty sure that noise is not coming through, so let's let it rip. Today, <laughs> we're going to be taking a deep dive with our special guest into how to create content for every stage of the buyer's journey. This is a major topic on marketers' minds today and how to tailor content for different audiences. So, Heike, tell us about your journey to becoming the VP of Marketing at Oracle to kick it off. Yeah, thank you for having me. So my journey to VP marketing at Oracle was a long one. I joined Oracle in 2012 through an acquisition. And at that time, I still had been back in Germany and was leading regional marketing there for set of countries. And in 2015, I moved to the U.S. for a very specific job within Oracle to scale globalization efforts and go into market in 21 emerging countries in one year. Wow. And that's brought wow. me over here. And from there, I got a team and I, I moved up. And here I am, VP of marketing today. So when did SEO first come on your radar as a marketer? Basically, in all those globalization efforts, once we started to create a scalable plan, how we can simultaneously enter 21 new countries, the question of A, which languages are accepted in which country, and B, what does the SEO need to do, where basically come in hand in hand. Yes, we have our company website, but then we also needed to make sure that if we localize any pages on web that we are grabbing SEO with that too. And that was the first time it really came onto my radar. Interesting. So you had sort of a, I would think a marketer's worst nightmare in some ways. Not only did you have to optimize for SEO on one page, but you had to do it on, well, how many, I mean, were you localizing for each one of those countries or each one of those, the languages spoken across those countries? Like what was that process like? We did an analysis of where English is an acceptable business language. And mm. all of these countries, we, to start off, we didn't localize. Either you have English as a secondary government language, and then it is an acceptable business language, or you have countries where English is just very common due to education and school and people are good with speaking English. So we put those countries with languages on the back burner. And then we looked into where do we have big clusters of language where we can localize. So we have, for example, Spanish, you have all of Latin South America and you have Europe. And so we ended up localizing into seven languages. And that's where we also looked into SEO. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not a matter of simply translating your SEO optimized English content, right? Because the idioms, the way people speak, the way they ask questions, they're going to be completely different from country to country language. 
Yes. And then there's also another phenomenon if you're selling marketing software and English is a very common language between marketers. Even when I still was in German, in Germany, I was speaking in my professional day, a mix out of German and English. And there are sometimes not even translations for some marketing terms is nobody's putting in the effort to translate it to anything so and if you would yep. go and translate it you would come off as oh they translated this but they don't really have an idea what they are doing and that is where seo becomes really tricky yes can i ask one last question to before we move on just because yeah, i have to absolutely. know as a language fan heike is there a word for seo or search engine optimization in german or do you just use search engine optimization you use search engine optimization. If you're looking into scholar text, it will be Suchmaschine Optimierung. <laughs> and is that one word? It is one word. Yes. Okay. I just think it's, it's so German. It's a very long word. Beautiful. Okay. I was hoping that would be the case. <laughs> I just wanted to know for sure. I love it. So, all right. So let's head into a deep dive of, around content for the buyer's journey. You know, we've, there's so many different studies out there. I think McKinsey had a study that showed, you know, 70% of all the research and evaluation in the B2B world now happens, you know, digitally, right? Before people make a decision and they say a decision is made in the last 10% of the buyer's journey. And so I guess, you know, what that all deduces down to is if we're not present along that journey, it's going to be really hard to win in that last 10% of the decision phase. So how are you thinking about content marketing during the first 90%? I'm thinking about it in a sense of there are so many people involved in the buying process. If somebody is really thinking that there's one person they need to talk to and this is how it's going in a B2B buying process, they're in for a rough awakening. And with all of these different people involved in the buying process, either they are the decision maker or they're influencing the buying process in one way or the other, or they are actually the initiator of the buying process because they have a very specific business problem which they are bringing to the knowledge of people who need to make the decision about buying something. All of these people have very different information needs. Yep. And then bringing on top of it all the different stages of this buying journey. <laughs> and you never know who is coming in and out at what level. It, it makes it basically very complex and then on the other side, not so complex to really get the right content out. Because what it comes down for me is you need to know what your product is solving for. What is the challenge it's helping to solve? Who are the players who are using it, facing this challenge day to day? How does it fit in the larger company strategy? Because now we're talking about the people who are actually signing the contract and who might all be involved. So if we're talking technology, there's certainly, if you're thinking, for example, marketing technology, there's certainly at one point, the IT department is going to be involved, no matter what. Are they the final decision maker? Often yes, often not. But they are definitely involved in the whole buying process. So you need to find content to fit the needs of all these people along this buying process. Right, because you talked about what is the what is the problem that you're solving, but that problem is going to express itself as a variety of pains, depending on your role. And you might actually be solving maybe 20 different problems with one product, but by, by solving four people's problems over here, you're actually creating problems for IT over here and they're not happy about it. And it just, it's making me think about historically, like 
how close we get to the finish line, maybe like six, seven years ago with a customer developing content that solved a problem for someone. And then at the last minute, someone goes, well, we're trying to reach the C-suite and this is really for a manager level. So how do we add in some C-suite language to this blog? And me having to argue that adding in C-suite language to a blog designed to answer questions for you know a middle manager made no sense whatsoever. And it's just, it's hard to capture all that, especially when you think you can do it with like one article that's going to solve all those pains and answer all those questions all at once. Exactly. And on top of that is also all these people have not only different content needs or information needs, they also have different content consumption behavior. Mm, yep. And that is where it becomes really tricky. Gartner has a great study about the marketing fuel buyer enablement. And I do really love this buyer enablement because the buyer is actually the one who is making the decision. And so we need to enable them the best as possible that they are able to make that decision. Gartner brings it down to literally six buying jobs you have. It's mm -hmm. the problem identification, the solution exploration, requirements building, supplier selection. But what's super important is underlying across all of these is validation and most important point, consensus creation. And yep. if you push the consensus creation out, when you have literally the contract on the table, oh, yeah, that might scary. go sideways really quickly. Yeah. So it's better to have consensus creation baked into the entire buying process so that you're not running against the wall. That's spot on. Because I, I think Gartner talks about there's roughly 10 different people involved in the buying process, all of which bring at least five pieces of information or viewpoints to a buying decision process. And so gaining consensus right across all of those unique positions, people, personalities, experiences, backgrounds, needs, desires, solutions, right? And then pile on top of that, you know, all of the information they've gathered, right? Consensus can become a challenge if you're trying to do that at the 11th hour. And I think that like, we're talking specifically about B2B buying here, right? But I think there's similar complexities in consumer buying as well, because you want to solve for like, if I'm talking about selling shoes, yeah, we need shoes, but we don't need that $150 pair, dollar pair of sneakers that are, are limited. So like the reason someone might have for purchasing that $150 limited drop pair of sneakers, there's a wide variety of them. And when you try to assume that they're all for the same reason, that everyone's doing things and making decisions from the same perspective, if you're going to focus your marketing only on that one assumption, you're going to fail. I also often make the distinction not between B2C and B2B marketing, but a considered purchase versus an ad hoc purchase. Interesting. Because you also, in the B2C world, you can have a very considered purchase. Rarely it happened to me in my life that I just passed by a car dealership said, yeah, $50,000 right. car, just <laughs> put a bow on it, take it. It's, yeah. It is considered purchase. There might be another person in this decision-making process, aka my husband. So we would talk about that and we might have different arguments. He would look at total different content than I would. He is interested in the details on the rims and the so on and so forth. I'm interested in it. Is that enough room in the back that I can push my bike in it? So it's different points. And if you break it down to a simple family situation and now you take that up tenfold. And go. solving for that might be real easy if you can, and we don't want this for the record, most buyers, if you could just talk to a human being and say, these are our considerations. I care about this. My husband cares about this. 
let's find the right car that matches all of that. But we want to do this online, right? So that's the challenge we're talking about, right? Like brands having to find a way to capture that kind of context, but in a choose your own adventure style digital experience, which is really challenging. Right. And then with the complexity we talked before that you have up to 10 people in this buying decisions and you do not exactly know who they are when they're coming in and out, and what their content consumption behavior is. What leads to that is that there's more and more search involved in that. Somebody might come in to a buying process like three months down the road when it already started. It's getting new into it, starts their own search. Or they come in the flow of information to a particular thing they want to research. Most of the people go to Google and just hammer it in. Yeah. And... That is actually where SEO comes into play. And I think when it, in my opinion, when with those particular B2B buying journeys, long tail search is something which is very important. Yeah, let's unpack that one a little bit. I was yeah. literally, you led right into where I wanted to go next. And so what we find amazing, and we've talked about this in the, in the past as well, Heike, but what we find amazing is if we think about the evolution of the internet, you know, we are all trying to figure out how to use it for kind of the first, you know, five years or plus or minus. And then this concept of keywords came along. And then now fast forward to where we are today with all of the smart devices and the computing power and all the different players that are involved in, in, in digital marketing, digital advertising, et cetera. And we've gotten to a place where there's no difference between the real world and digital. So if you and I saw each other on this street, Right. And we engage in a conversation about, you know, a hobby or about business, whatever it might be. We don't speak to each other in keywords. Right. We actually no. communicate. <laughs> we communicate <laughs> with one another in sentences and, lo you know, long tail scenarios. Questions. Right. We ask questions. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We ask questions and those get answers and those lead to other questions. And it's just big spider web of things that we're exchanging in real time. And so how do you think about that. How has your, your thought process and strategy changed over the years from keywords to now, well, digitally, we should also be thinking about those long tail versions, the questions that, which gets much more complex in how we relate and enable that buyer to find us along that journey. And not to be too remedial for our audience, but especially for those who are new to SEO, when we say long tail, we just mean a lot of words, right? Versus short tail is just a one or two word keyword search, but a long tail is a, it's a complete thought. It's a sentence. It's five, six, seven, eight, nine words. So th th there's a big difference in, in that gap. Yeah, right. And that is basically when I'm thinking about content and how would this long tail search look like is actually what is the question I need to answer. Yep. And that also comes back to what is the pain point? What are we trying to solve for? Actually, it is not too tricky. I find it more tricky to really go for keywords than to a full-blown question. Sure. We are doing research with our audience groups and also trying to find out is how are they searching? Where are they consuming their content? What are they looking for? And really tailor it to those audiences. And it's very different. So for the customer experience world, which is advertising, marketing software, service software, sales software, a service person will look for total different kinds of content than a marketer does look. Has also to do with 
who are the generations who are making decisions nowadays and their content consumption behavior. So we really need to meet our audiences where they are and accept that they are acting all totally different. It presents an opportunity, especially for the creatives in marketing, thinking about how am I actually going to meet that audience where they are? When you give me a short tail keyword, marketing software to write about, there are a million different ways I could come, I could approach that, right? I could talk about dozens of different topics. I can answer all sorts of different questions. But if you tell me, write, answer this question, like, how do I find the right marketing software for my mid-sized business that's growing fast? Like, that is such a specific thing. I know exactly who I'm dealing with when I create that content. And so, yeah, of course, there's going to be less competition. We're going to be able to rank higher. And part of why it's so easy to rank higher for it is because we know exactly who we're talking to and we can ignore everybody else. Right. And this is also the thing, keywords versus long tail, is you need to give the answers to the people you want to talk to and not yes. through the masses. Yep. Which too, which change it from, right, traffic, and which leads to traffic alone, right, can lead to vanity metrics. And then taking that from just general traffic and zeroing it into qualified traffic, right? What is that ICP that I'm going after with whatever I'm selling, right? The more granular I understand that buyer, and the more directly I connect to them, the higher quality my leads are going to be. Marketing, B2B marketing, especially talks all about personalization, right? And then we're yes. thinking about personalization. We're thinking about personalization of landing pages, of web pages, of emails, and so on and so forth. If you are answering a question and you have, you're writing for long tail search, you already start personalization right there because you yes. meet your potential buyer with what they're looking for. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I don't know about you, but I do feel like I tend to search for questions in Google more than I search like keyword phrases. Sometimes if I want to like get a software transcription service, I'm going to search for that. Right. But a lot of times if I'm trying to like learn something, I'm going to ask a question and it's amazing how there was like this period of time when Yahoo answers existed and was the thing. And like, if someone happened to have asked a question there and got answered and it's the same as your question, you might find someone who can actually answer your exact question. But like, it's a rare thing to ask a really long tail question on Google and actually find that somebody has asked the exact same question. So how great an experience would it be if we can understand our audiences to the point where we can think about every time they ask a question, we've got a piece of content ready to go for them. That's more personalized than putting their name on a piece of content. Absolutely. And you know, isn't it also rewarding and sometimes funny if you are, if you're typing in a really, what you think a stupid question <laughs> into Google, and then the list comes up and you see, oh, somebody else asked that too. So I'm not yeah. Isn't that right. kind yes. of rewarding? I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. I'm seen. I'm not alone. That really validates the old adage. What is it? That the only stupid question is the one that's not asked, right? Because like, if you're thinking it, a million people are thinking it, right? I find that sometimes very rewarding. If I'm starting a question like, what is? And then <laughs> enter whatever. Yeah. Say, oh, well, somebody else is looking for that too. So I'm not the only person who doesn't know what that is. An example I love to give of that all the time, because we'll, we hear sometimes from marketers, well, you know, well, the persona I'm going after, they don't ask that question. And I always like to think about, well, so, so I'm, you know, here I am leading demand jump. It's a SaaS company, high growth SaaS company. And there's KPI metrics in SaaS that you report on, right? To your investors, to your board, et cetera. I frequently, at least once a quarter, Google, you know, what are the best SaaS KPI metrics? And people would say, well, well, I'm not, Toph's not going to Google that because he already knows all that. Well, I'm always relearning. I'm always looking, what else is out there? Are there shifts, right? And so like, 
we're all human at the end of the day. And everybody asks many questions or thinks many questions that come out of their brain, down their arms, through their fingertips, onto a keyboard that when you have a way of looking at that data and analyzing it in a more macro level, it's pretty surprising, right? What you find that people are actually looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's nothing wrong with it. And you also have a chance to test a lot, right? Because you can write for certain, to answer a certain question, but whatever your content is and depending how long it is, it might answer five other questions. Right. So you can test all of this against it without basically reinventing what you've just done over and over. Yeah. I mean, that's why we've committed so, so strongly to the concept of pillar-based marketing, right? The idea that at its core, any topic you want to rank on page one for is not in and of itself a keyword. It is a network of search behavior. And some of those long tail questions in that network are going to drive the kind of traffic that gives you leads and increases all of your metrics down funnel. Some of them won't, but by being there for all of them, your aggregate ability to drive better qualified traffic is going to increase. And that's going to make a world of difference for your business. And you're not going to spend time guessing at what is the question TOEF would answer, ask. You know, we're, we, it's so easy to just assume that TOEF wouldn't ask that question. And I was actually, when you were leading with that story, TOEF, I was locked and ready to drop your lipstick example that you like to use yeah. so often, right? Like, how, who, wh- what is the question, the number one search question around lipstick? Yep. What does lipstick stand for? The number one most powerful question in the world as it's related to all the words in the network around lipstick is what does lipstick stand for? I guarantee you there's not a single marketer in the world who would guess correctly. That is the most important question to answer if you want to really own that topic network. That is interesting. Yeah, wild. So we have to pay attention to the data. Yeah. When we looked at that data, not one manufacturer, and these are sophisticated companies, right? Revlon and Maybelline, you know, I, I don't wear lipsticks, so I don't know who they all are, but they're, I mean, they are really large, sophisticated companies and there's no way a human's ever going to know, okay, my strategy, I'm going to lead with what does lipstick stand for? Nobody's answering that question and it gets the most searches of anything. So now I'm curious, what does it stand for? Well, <laughs> well, that's when you click a button in our platform and it says. But I, but that's a good question, Heike, because I think like as a creative, that sounds like a really awesome blog post to write. Like you right. could go so many different ways with that, but like talking about its role in society and what it means. And I like, and so I think that's another interesting point to make here in this conversation, which I'm loving by the way, is that just because we're thinking about these really nitty gritty long tail questions, doesn't mean we're talking about like writing for search engines or being right. keyword spammy. These are actually liberating kinds of questions to be answering because you never know when you're going to come across a question you would never in a million years would think that someone wanted you to answer. But then when you take the time, it's like a really enlightening question that's going to help a lot of people. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What does lipstick stand for? I mean, that leads down, you know, all the way back to medieval times or royalty and right weddings. And it gets into all these really fun, intriguing topics, right? And colors. And then it even goes and you know, farther down the chain goes into matte and gloss and all those kind of other fun things. But and if I'm a CEO and my marketer comes to me and says, we're going to write this article and we're going to do a campaign around this, I'm going to be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right? <laughs> if I don't have the data to prove it, I'm going to say that is right. the biggest waste of money I've ever heard. Yeah, that's exactly right. I love it. So, so how do you, you know, how do you think about organizing your team or as you step back and kind of organize and think about strategy as you're going to go, you know, various solutions, right. That, that you provide to the marketplace. You start with kind of a blank canvas, right. And you mentioned Gartner earlier and talking about the, you know, the buyer enablement journey. How do you kind of high level, do you break it down into kind of big steps and how do you attack that with your team? 
So we've started to build out for this framework already, and it started basically with an analysis of what, what, what do we have already? It's not that we are telling brand new stories, which nobody had ever heard of, but really evaluating what do we have and align it with the research we've done on our audiences to see how good are we covered. Mm. And then can we use it as is? Do we need to rework it? Do we need to scrap it and do it over? And then where are the major gaps? And of course, this is a massive undertaking. It is literally for us like laying out a breadcrumb trail on the internet for people to find us. I love that analogy. Yeah, any one pillar topic network we look at, like in the Demand Jump platform, we might look at, there might be 4,000 keywords and questions being asked in that network. So imagine trying to get coverage on all that. It's a lot. Right. So we're trying to find the major ones first. And that's what I also convey to my team is this is not a, we lock ourselves into a room for 48 hours and ta-da, we're coming out and we're done. This is an organism. It's consistently morphing and growing. We just need to keep an eye on what is the end game here so that we are consistently working towards this goal to literally deliver the content to all involved people in the buying cycle if they are known to us or not some people in the buying cycle will stay forever unknown we will never get them in the nurture yeah but they yeah. still are involved in the process so really find creating this content piece by piece and then also, especially when it comes to the later stages of the buying cycle, arming our salespeople with content they can use yes. in order to help. Because after that buying journey went 90% through on the internet, at one point they will talk to somebody and there might be still content needs there. Mm -hmm. So that is the way the team is working is really starting with what we have and then identify does it still fit as is? Do we need to adapt it? Do we need to redo it? And where are complete white spaces? And then we really need to identify how we are producing this content. Is this something we should do in-house? Is this something we should do with a partner? Are they probably thought leaders we should work with who have something to say about this? And so... As I said, it's an organism. It's consistently morphing and in movement. That's spot on. I love it. In the, I think in the Gartner report I was looking at, they, they talk a little bit about those steps as like step one, job, step two, intent, step three, form, step four, design. And it's like identifying the specific activities, right, that buyers need to complete their purchase, documenting in step two, documenting the specific ways a supplier can support that buyer's journey, right, to be completed. And then identifying the content form factors available to, to build enablement content and ensuring that enablement content meets a minimum design standard, right? Of being relevant and easy and, and useful and credible and easy to understand. Yeah. So I love your process, right? It totally aligns to that whole concept. We're getting right to the end here. We're almost going to go to rapid fire here, Heike, in just a moment. But um, <laughs> how do you think about different formats and channels, links of post, et cetera? When you think about all the, the pieces and parts you're going to put, you know, put together, um, how, how do you think about that? Different formats, channels, links to posts, et cetera. Are all the breadcrumbs the same or are yeah. they different? No, they're, they're different. They're different in the sense of who do we want to attract to read it and engage with that content. But then there's also content where 
our goal is to really identify the person behind it in order for them to bring them into our nurture. And then also the content also always needs to lead to a next step. Even so, somebody is just reading some something generic to answer a generic question. At some point, we need to make the connect. So how can we actually help with that? And so therefore, there's always a next step. For the different content formats, that is basically also driven by A, who is the audience? Is this an audience who reacts pretty much to video, for example? Then we probably should have video content for it. Can we get them out of video into written content, some more long-form content? Or is that not even their wheelhouse? Is it a teaser somewhere, which is might be just quick posts on social media, which leads to a blog post, which is a little bit longer, which leads to a full white paper if people really want to go down? Or is it an interactive ebook where people can hop back and forth? So it's the variety of content we need to use, but absolutely tailored to who is the audience we want to talk to. Yep. I love it. All right. Well, you ready to uh, go into the final phase? Some quick hitters? Sure. I love this part. All right. So what's the last thing you search for? The next triathlon. Oh. <laughs> I'm doing I'm impressed. Did okay. you search for it by name? No, by month and location. Interesting. There you go. Interesting. Okay. Right there. Yep. So anybody putting on triathlons out there, make sure you cover when, what month your triathlon is in and what city it's in. Lead with that because that's how you get found by Heike. What keeps you up at night? How can I create more content faster? Oh, love it. Oh, that's love a good one. It's, it's so amazing when you actually get the data and you start actually understanding what your audience wants. It's like you can't give it to them fast enough. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What are three key marketing tools that you can't live without or tools in general for your team? What are three tools you can't live without? Certainly marketing automation platform. Grammarly is a good spell checker mm. and grammatic checker. And leave it or not, Excel. I love it. Yeah. I mean, as much as I would prefer not to, I live in Google Sheets. Maybe not so much Excel, but same idea, right? All right. Well, how can people find you or learn more about Oracle's awesome solutions? Definitely on the Oracle website, oracle.com slash CX. There you have all the customer experience and advertising software and uh, find me on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter. Excellent. I love it. All right. Everyone out there, our friends and family and fans of Page One or Bust, an incredible episode today yeah, with just... Heike I learned a ton. This is awesome. It feels like we were talking about the future here. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, thank you very much, Heike, and we'll see everyone next time. Thank you for having me. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Know the exact content to create to increase first page rankings and drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started for free today at demandjump.com.